It's just the way the, the message is going to be tonight. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles, take your Bibles, and turn with me to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 30. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter number 30. Uh, it's the, the outline is more in a, a preaching type outline than a teaching type outline, but it is what God gave me, and I think if God gives it to you, just roll with it. Say amen right there. Uh, the devil has been fighting all day long on this. So that gives me an affirmation that somebody really needs to hear what I'm going to say tonight. Uh, uh, anybody need an outline? Raise your hand if you need an outline. We want, I want to make sure you get this one. Uh, this one is going to be very, very important. How many of you ever been so distressed in your life that you cried to the point you had no more tears to cry? That's where we find King David at, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, boy, I tell you, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. And uh, so I appreciate you coming. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you need an outline. Raise your hand if you need. A, there's still more. There's still more. <clears throat> there's still more. All right. Uh, first Samuel. Did I say Second Samuel or First Samuel? First. That's where you want to be. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter number thirty. If everybody's ready, say Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter number 30 and verse number 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. No power to weep. No, no ability. Just, just wept to the point of exhaustion. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar that brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after the troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread, nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an, to an uh, Amalekite. And my master left me, because three days agone I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? 
And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou whither, uh, wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of any mas- my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, there were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even into the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, four, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And say this with me. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. There was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. Say it with me. David recovered all. Say it again. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will have your perfect will tonight. I pray that you'll anoint my mind and, Lord, just anoint my thinking. I, I, I know the devil is fighting. I know the devil has fought all day. I know uh, there's some discouraged people in this room that need to know that you are real. To need, they need to know that you can recover all. They need to know that you are all-powerful, that you are almighty. They need to know that the devil may be raging and the circumstances may be difficult and, the, and, and Lord, reality may seem like it's totally, completely impossible. But, Lord, let them know that with all things God is able, that God is possible to... Lord, you are able to do anything, anything we need. I pray that your perfect will tonight be done. Bless your word. Lord, let it not return void, but encourage your people tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to I wanna begin, I wanna begin this with a little history lesson, maybe, maybe a little review of the book of 1 Samuel to begin with, because it's very important that we see this to understand the, the magnitude of what's happening here. Uh, if you are taking notes, if you're writing notes down, if you want to go ahead and write this down, we're, we're looking at David and the difficulty he experienced. The difficulty he experienced. Uh, David is going through a very difficult time, uh, uh, probably, uh, most likely, the darkest hour of his life. He is sitting in a place that nobody wants to sit. He's going through something nobody wants to go through. But in order to really get it, let's go back. Let's go back all the way to his anointing. Let's go back all the way to the beginning, if you will. And, and look at David, and, and the first time we see David, and David is being anointed. David is, is called by God. David is minding his own business. David is watching the sheep, and, and, and Samuel comes and anoints him. And listen, he is now the next in line. He is now the anointed king of Israel. Is he sitting on the throne yet? No. Is he reigning yet? No. But he has the anointing. He has the touch of God. He has the favor of God. The Bible says at that time that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So here we have a young man that's anointed. We have a young man with a destiny that's great. We have a young man with the call of God on his life and a commission that's been given to him. Can you imagine David as a young man as he hears this and he sees this and he experiences this man this is going to be great I've got the anointing of God upon me I've got the favor of God upon me I've got the spirit of God upon me man this is going to be wonderful it's almost like when you first got saved man when you first get saved it's wonderful 
You feel the, the, the feeling of forgiveness. God lifts the burden off of your back and, and you think, man, this is wonderful. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Why didn't I do this sooner? Life is grand. The birds are going to tweet tweeter. Amen. Uh, the sun is going to shine brighter. This is wonderful, wonderful until life happens. Here he is anointed. Then, then he's chosen... Then he's chosen by the king. He's chosen by the king to, to play the harp in front of him. When, when the evil spirit comes and tortures the king, uh, they said, hey, king, we need to find somebody that can play that harp and, 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 and comfort you when you go through this difficult time. So David's chosen. Not only is he anointed and he's got the touch of God on him, he's got the spirit of God on him, now he's sitting in the presence of the king in the palace playing for the king. He has an audience, the king. And then we know that the king loves him. The king, listen, the king sees God's favor upon him and chooses to keep him as his armor bearer. Then we keep reading. You'll find there comes a time when they go to battle against the Philistines. And this is, listen, this is a difficult time because now Saul is not going in the provision of God. Saul is not going in the direction of God with God's touch on him anymore. He doesn't have God's favor on him anymore. So here he is at a situation where he's in the battle. And they have the Philistines on one side of the valley and the Israelites on the other side of the valley. And here comes old Goliath. Y'all know the story. I don't want to take up time. I'm just trying to give you a little history. Y'all know what happens. King or, or David at the time has been sent back to feed the father's sheep because there were several of the sons that are in the battle or there with, with King Saul. But y'all know what happens. Saul, uh, David's father, wants to know what's happening, so he sends David back. And David hears about it. You, you know the story. David goes down, and he, he kills Goliath. And here, here David is carrying the head of Goliath. Here David has got the sword of Goliath. He's not only anointed, he's got the favor of God. He has got the favor of the king. He's in the king's presence. And now, boy, his life is wonderful. This is great. Man, everything he does seems to turn to gold. He comes back marching into town, and the women begin to say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Can you imagine young David as he hears, as he hears the praise? Man, this is great! But the moment that happens, King Saul turns against him. Every time he saw that God's favor was with him, he became afraid of him. When he saw that Michael, his daughter, loved him, he became afraid of him. Boy, God showed me something there that, 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 that most people aren't afraid of you or don't care about you until they see God on you. And then when they see that God's not on them and God is on you, they become a secret enemy. And we know, we know as time goes by, and if I hurry this up a little bit, he's playing the harp for him, doing his thing, trying to be an encouragement to the king. And the king throws a javelin at him, throws a spear at him, tries to kill him, and David escapes. This happens on a multitude of instances where Saul's tried to kill him and David escapes. Now David's running for his life. There are times when, when David is hiding in a cave and there was a time when, when Saul went in to use the restroom and, and, and David could have killed him, but he didn't. 
There was a time when Saul was asleep and David could have killed him again, but he didn't. He said, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. But the point is, he's anointed. He's got the favor of God on him. He's got the spirit of God on him. But nothing's going right, it seems. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. He's, he has been run off from his family. He's been run off from his country. He's been run off from his friends. Y'all with me? He comes to a place, to a certain cave, and some folks find out about it. His family finds out about it, so some of his brethren come to him. <clears throat> he takes, the Bible says, if, you, if you'll go read, I pray you go read through the, through the, through the book and the, through the, the, the first Samuel, and you'll find out that, that people begin to, to gravitate to him. The, the, the people in debt, the people discontented, Basically, the riffraff. They begin to gravitate to, to David and start following him. And so now he's got, at one time, he had a, approximately 400 men and then ended up being 600 men. So now he's got a following. Now he's got, he's got soldiers. He's got his, 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 his posse, if you will. And here he's, he's trying to do what he knows to do to stay alive. And he's running for his life everywhere he goes. So he makes a decision. I'm going to the Philistines. Saul doesn't want me around. Saul is trying to kill me. Maybe, maybe I can find some safety in the enemy's camp. So he goes to Gad. He goes to King Achish. And he, he, says, he says, listen, now, now think about this. He's, he's bringing 600 men with him. They have wives and children. So he's probably got about 2,000 people. And he asked the king, will you give us a place? Give us somewhere where we can reside. So he gives them Ziklag. And so David brings his company, all his followers there to Ziklag. And and remember, he's anointed. Remember, God's God's got his touch on him. But yet David is kind of in a a little bit of backslidden state. He should have never left Jerusalem. Or excuse me, he should have never left Israel. He should have never been where he was. But he's running. He's running. There comes a point. There comes a point that the Philistines come to fight against Israel. And God in his providential care would not allow David to be in that battle. Achish has David. Now think about this. All the lords of the Philistines, all the armies of the Philistines are there. And in the back is King Achish. And and there David and all his men are around him. And the lords, the captains of the the Philistine army look back and see David and say, "Uh Uh-uh, no, no, this ain't happening. Don't you remember what they said? Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. What's he doing here? That was the providence of God. Say amen. Say amen. He said, no, you can't, you can't go with us. You can't go with us. So this brings us to where we are. He's running. He's running. You got to go back home. So David and his men are not only rejected by the king of Israel. Now they are rejected by the king of the Philistines. So when you're writing these things down, I want you to see the first thing that David experienced is rejection. Rejection. I don't know about you, but one of the worst feelings in the world is rejection. 
And everywhere he turned, he was feeling rejected. He was feeling rejected by his home people. He was feeling rejected by his own citizens. He was feeling rejected by those that he turned to to try to help. It's amazing that, that even, even with, with Abigail's husband, and begin, and her, 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 her husband's name is Nabal, go, go read it. He, he, all he did was kindness to his shepherds, and, 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 and Nabal just turned his back on him and treated him roughly. Seemed like everything, everywhere, and every person that he raised his hand to help and be a blessing to rejected him. And so he's dealing with rejection. So for three days, for three days, he's marching back home. He's marching back to Ziklag. And here it is. We can't go with them. We can't, we, we can't be in the battle. We can't do anything. Three days we're marching. Three days we're marching. Three days we're marching. Listen, when they finally come out, can you imagine? Well, when we get over that hill, we'll be home. We'll be able to rest. We'll be able to recuperate. We'll be able to recover. Well, this has been a journey, three days. And, and now they're not only dealing with rejection, but they're dealing with fatigue. Fatigue. I mean, just wore out. I'm telling y'all. We are living in a society that is so fast-paced, that is so crazy, people don't have time to breathe anymore. We schedule ourselves to the point that we're going, 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 we're going. Right before I came out here, I'm talking to this person and that person and that person. I said, keep talking, I'm shaving. Just keep talking, I'm listening, I promise you. Y'all know what, y'all know the way it is? Exhaustion. How many of y'all know you'll do things and say things and feel things that you normally wouldn't feel if you wasn't so tired? Exhaustion. Rejection. Then when they, when they, when they crest the hill, all their hearts fell into their stomach. All they could see was the smoke rolling. All they could see was, was devastation in front of them. And they probably, after they crested the hill, they, 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 they probably picked up their step just a little bit. They probably started running just a little bit. Oh, my goodness, what's there? What's going on? What's happening? And they run, and they get into the city, and they look around, and there's nobody there. It's completely deserted. Everything's on fire. Everything's destroyed. All of their homes, all of their possessions are gone. And now they're not only facing rejection. Now they're not only dealing with fatigue, but now they're dealing with grief. From their loss. They don't know. They don't know whether their loved ones are dead or alive. For all they know. For all they know. Their wives are killed. Their, their children are slaves. Boy they're struck with grief. Grief is a terrible thing. Grief is a terrible thing. It incapacitates you. It paralyzes you. It puts you into a place. You see this the difficulty. Not only rejection, <clears throat> not only fatigue, not only grief from, from loss, but then look what it says. Look what it says. The Bible says in verse 4, And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. 
until they had no power to weep. They cried and they cried and they cried. They wailed and weeped. They were wailing and weeping over their loss. Then it goes from bad to worse. David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in his God. He was dealing with rejection. He was dealing with exhaustion. He was dealing with grief from loss. He was dealing with stress. 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 Listen, the people, it's not just about losing your job. I mean, he's fixing to lose his position as captain. He's fixing to lose his position as leader. It's not just that. He's fixing to lose his life. Listen, they are not the only ones that lost someone. David is grieving too. David has lost family too. David has lost possessions too. David is the one that made sure the men were led properly. He was the one that made sure they were fed properly. He was the one that made sure they had what they had and met their needs. They had nothing before they found David. And with David, they found something, yet they turned on David like a rabid dog. So here David is. Run out of his country. Run out of shelter. His family's gone. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting to kill him. I want you to look at number two. I want you to see the decision he employed. The decision he employed. But before we look at that, I want you to look at what they did. I want you to look at what they did. They are, they are suffering. They are weeping. They are broken. They are grieving. They are, they are in a, a, a stressed out situation. And, and, and listen, look at their response. Look at their response. There's, there's two things that usually happens. There's two things that usually happens uh, when people go through a very difficult time. And, 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 and one is this. First, we have to assign blame. We got to assign blame. Who did this? Whose fault is this? Why, why am I going through this? Who has done something to make this happen? Whose fault is it? We've got to assign blame. We start looking for blame. We start looking for blame in our spouses. We start looking for blame in our children. We start looking for blame in our, in our, in our jobs or maybe our bosses or maybe our friends or, or maybe the church. We've got to assign blame. We've got to assign blame. Not, now listen. Uh... They looked at David as the one responsible for this situation. We've got we to find out who to blame. Now, why do we look, why do we look for who to blame? Why do, we, why do we look for who to blame? Why is that so important? Why is that such a big deal that we, we do everything we can to find out who's the cause of this? Who's why, why, is that, why do we do that? So we can make someone pay. See, if we can find out who's to blame, then we can make them pay. Now, now why is that important? Why, why is that important? Why is it so important to make someone pay for my pain, make someone pay for my hurt, make someone pay for my suffering? Because the devil has sold us a lie 
The devil has sold us a lie. The devil has said, if you can make the one who hurt you hurt like you, then you will feel better. And so what happens? We get hurt in life. Somebody does us wrong. Somebody hurts us. Somebody wounds us. And, and we start nursing that and we start rehearsing that over. How many of y'all know that when you rehearse something, it gets better for your side every time? And, and, and if, I can just, if I can just make them feel what I feel. How many of y'all know there's a fine line between love and hate? One moment we say, I do, I love you forever. The next moment we're standing in front of a lawyer and we want to kill each other. And boy, if I could just make him feel what I feel. If I can make her go through what I go through. I, can, I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to act and I want vengeance and I want to, I want to, I want to make him pay because we, we falsely think that if they hurt like I hurt, then my hurt will go away. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Now watch. <clears throat> and by the way, this is not part of this, but, but if you want to know what to do when that happens, forgive. I'm not going to go through that whole message again, but trust me. Forgive. Assigning blame and making someone pay, that's not going to take your pain away. The only thing that's going to promote healing in your life is to forgive the one that hurt you. Listen, I, I, I saw something in a commentary. And I look, at, I look at their response to the situation. They want to assign blame. They want to make someone pay. But then I look at David's response. I look at David's response. Now, now here's the thing. <clears throat> this is the sentence that was in the, this commentary. And I thought, wow. Wow. R read this with me. <clears throat> look in your notes under A. Look in your notes under A. Are you ready where it says different? Do y'all see the word different there? Are y'all with me? Different. All right, read it with me. Different people react in different ways to the same circumstances. Watch this, watch this. Because, because what life does to us depends on what life finds. One group of people is picking up stones. And David says... Bring me the ephod. In other words, we need to talk to God. One group is ready to kill. One group is ready to destroy. One group is ready for vengeance. One group is, is ready to turn on the one that, that, that is probably most important to him. I mean, if there was ever a time if there was ever a time that they needed a real leader, it's then. But because of their grief, because of their suffering, because of their pain, they're ready to turn on the one they needed the most. Because, because life does to us according to what it finds in us. That's why you'll see two people go through the same thing and come out in two different ways. That's why you'll see two people experience a tragedy 
and one, one be propelled and the other be completely destroyed. Don't you look at this. What do we do? <clears throat> what do we do? And by the way, y'all can breathe a little bit because it's going to get in the good part now. <clears throat> you, know why it's, you know why it's so quiet right now? You, you know why it's so tense right now? Can you feel it? Because y'all are living this. Whether it's because of the doctor's appointment, because of something uh, that this, the children are going through, because of something maybe in the marriage, because of something at work, whatever it is, you're going through it right now. And boy, when it's, when it's close to home, so what do we do? What do we do when we're distressed? What do we do when we're, we're just about to lose it? What do we do when we've cried to the point we can't cry no more? What do we do when there's no one to turn to? What do we do? Well, the first thing I want you to write down is this. <clears throat> Under A, I think, I think this is the first thing. Yes. He ignored his circumstances. Do y'all see anywhere in this situation where David said, Oh, come on, guys. He did not respond to the critics. He, he, did not, he did not even look at the circumstances. Now, here's, 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 here's going to be something that's, that's really, really important, guys. I'm telling you, it's really important. There's going to be times and there's going to be places in your life when you're going to have to look at something that's not like it is. In other words, you're going to have to look at a bank account that's empty like it's got something in it. Now, see, I figured I'd get your attention. In other words, you won't be able to look at your circumstances because your circumstances will tell you it's hopeless. Your surroundings will tell you there's no hope and there's no, there's no help. When I look at everything about the politics in our country right now, I am hopeless. So guess what? I'm not looking to politicians. I'm not looking at Trump, Cruz, Rubio. I'm not looking at none of them. I sure ain't looking at that other side. I'm not looking at none of them. Because what we need is not sitting in Washington. What we need is not sitting in the state house. What we need is not sitting in Congress. What we need is for God's children to find a place to alone with God and say, God, we need you today. We need your help right now. We need your touch right now. Oh, God, send me the ephod. I can't look at my circumstances. I can't look at my critics. Let them talk all they want to talk. Let, look at the circumstances. Look around. It looks hopeless. I don't even know where they went. I don't even know who came and got them. I don't know anything. All I know is I need to seek God right now. Sometimes you need to turn off the TV. Sometimes you need to turn off your phone. All the people that's criticizing, all the people that's negative, all the situations that's there, you need to ignore them all. Ignore what it looks like. Ignore what the devil's telling you. Ignore the fact, listen, that you have a bloody coat in front of you and the devil's trying to say Joseph is dead because that's not his blood. You need to ignore the circumstances. 
Not only do we need to ignore what we see with our physical eyes. It's kind of like this. You remember when the servant, <clears throat> the servant was sitting beside the prophet and there were soldiers all over the hills and he said, we're done for. And God said, open his eyes. And there was angels everywhere. See, what's going to help us is not what we can see. Because what we can see is temporal. What we can't see is eternal. That's a whole other message, but i got to finish this one. <clears throat> Ignore what the doctors are saying. Ignore what the lawyers are saying. Ignore what the politicians are saying. Ignore what your circumstances are saying. And then number B. Number B. <clears throat> Just ignore that. <clears throat> Take initiative. Take initiative. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some of you mad. <clears throat> but, but you'll get over it. <clears throat> Initiative. Initiative. The first time in my life that I ever was exposed to this word. <clears throat> How many of y'all grew up when they gave out progress reports? Raise your hand. Progress reports. I went to a, I went to a, a school that gave out progress reports, and they had the academic side. And they had the behavioral side. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, if, if you had a bad grade in the academic side, or a bad mark in the academic side, was not good. Y'all with me? Was not good. Uh, and, 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 and depending on where the mark landed, depending on the severity of your whooping <clears throat> or scolding or whatever it was going to be. Now, if you got a, a bad mark in the academic side, it's bad. But if you ever got a mark on the behavioral side... Is over. Are y'all with me? I mean, you, you, you just, just kiss it goodbye. It's gone. I got my progress report, and I'm on the bus. <clears throat> and I'm headed home. And I look at the behavioral side. And I'm telling you, my heart just went in my stomach. I couldn't believe it. I said, there's no way. And when I got home, I, I done planned everything, what I'm going to say and everything. And I get home and my mom's first one to get there. Dad was at work. And I said, Mom, I'm telling you right now, that teacher has never liked me. She's senile. She don't know what she's talking about. I don't know what this woman's problem is. I think she's a racist or something. 
She hates me. I think she's got something against Christians. She found out my dad's a preacher. She don't like saved people. <laughs> this woman don't know what she's talking about. I don't care what that thing says. And my mom's looking at it like, what are you talking about? I said, that woman put on that mark. She said that I was inattentive. In other words, that I wasn't paying attention. I said, I'm telling you, I pay attention every single day. She looked again. She says, you big dummy, this says shows initiative. I said, I said, she's a good woman, mama. Good woman. She knows exactly what she's talking about. She says, you dummy, that means that you do things before you're asked to do them. That you do it because you know it's supposed to be done. Nobody ha- you don't have to wait on anybody. You just get, are y'all with me? You know what David did? He didn't wait for anybody to pick him up. He didn't wait for anybody to pat him on the back. He didn't wait for anybody to try to encourage him because there was nobody there to encourage him. The circumstances wasn't encouraging. The critics wasn't encouraging. So he just bowed up and said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to encourage myself. And we need to mature as Christians to the point that we don't have to call anybody. We don't have to look up anybody. We don't have to wait and depend on somebody else to give us a little pep talk that we can go to God and we can learn to encourage ourselves. I'm going to encourage myself. Hell or high water, I'm going to encourage myself. If they go with me or not, I'm going to encourage myself. If they like it or not, I'm going to encourage myself. I'm not going to wait for anybody. I'm going to encourage myself. Man, we need to take initiative. Initiative. People are whining and crying. Nobody called me. Nobody checked on me. Nobody did this. Nobody did that. Nobody. Quit your whining and encourage yourself. There's going to come a day there won't be nobody to call you. There won't be nobody to visit you. There won't be nobody to come over. Listen, you'll be on your own and by yourself, and you need to know that there's a God in heaven who sees you right where you are and can meet your need. You don't need nobody else's help. Are you all with me? Now, Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I thank God that we have an encouraging church. I thank God that we have encouraging life groups. I thank God we have an encouraging staff and we have encouraging friends and we have encouraging families. But I'm I'm telling you this, there's going to come a day and a place in your life that you're going to feel like you're all alone and you need to know that you don't need nothing else but God. Man, I remember when I first went to Bible college. I remember sitting in the Waffle House acting like I was reading the paper. It was the first time in my life I felt alone. I grew up with a brother and cousins. And if I wasn't with Joe, I was with Randy, or I was with Mark, or I was with people. I was with with family. Man, the first week, the first week in college, I didn't have a job yet. Everybody was gone, and I was 500 miles away from home, and I know this, I'm probably just a big baby, but I tell you what, I felt the first time in my life, I felt alone. I didn't really know anybody up there. 
And I'd just go sit at the Waffle House because I'd be around people, even I didn't know them. Boy, I pray. I'm telling you, you're going to find that place in your life. And you need to know. You need to know that you don't need Joe, and you don't need Dad, and you don't need Mom, and you don't need Uncle Henry. Are y'all with me? You're just going to have to bow up and say, bless God, I'm going to encourage myself. The circumstances are not going to do it. My surroundings are not going to do it. The critics are sure not going to do it. They won't throw stones. I'm just going to take the initiative. I'm going to take charge. And let me tell you something. I, I, I've, anyway. He took initiative. Then, then thirdly. He not only ignored the circumstances, he took initiative. He took initiative. He said, I'm going to encourage myself. And then it says, in the... Yeah, everybody's got a Bible. He encouraged himself in the... You need to know your source. You need to know your source. The psalmist said, <laughs> the psalmist said in Psalms 121, I will lift mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. I wonder if David was thinking about that right here. I lift my eyes to the hills. Because I know my help cometh from the Lord. Where's your help been coming from lately? Now think about it, and I'm, I'm not trying to be smart or Listen, you're the Wednesday night crowd. You're the more mature one, so y'all need to bow up and throw your lollipop in the dirt. Say amen. You're the ones that are supposed to be able to handle this. What, what have you been depending on to keep you up? To keep you encouraged? What, what have you... What have you been trusted? And the reason I'm saying this, because if it is a temporal thing, or if it is a it is a human thing, if it is a person, if it's a thing, if it's a hobby, if it's an activity that what happens when that goes away? What happens when you can't get a hold of that person that's always there for you? What is your source? Let me say this. Can I say this without scaring you? Because y'all look petrified. <clears throat> if your source is not the right source, he will take that source away to become your source. So go ahead and make him your source. 
He said, Preacher, bring me the ephod. The ephod was what the priest would use to get a word from God. The ephod had some, some say it was two stones, some say it was two different sticks of two different colors. The Urim and Thummim, in other words, a yes or no, God would speak and he would give an answer. And, 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 and it really, that's not, that's not as important as just to know the fact that you can go to God for your answer. He knew a source. He knew a source. The last one under this. Watch this. This is so telling. This is so, wow. He sought the will of God. Now watch what he didn't do. Make me feel better. Now, my brother Sean, I, I don't know how spiritual you are. <clears throat> but I think that, because I'm not as spiritual as I want to be, I think I said, make it quit hurting. That's probably what I'd been thinking. God, take this pain away. Make it go away, God. Make me feel better. Lord, make them stop threatening me. Help them know it wasn't my fault. Help them know I was fighting with them. What did he say? Do we go? Do we pursue? In other words, he's seeking the will of God in his situation. It is the same thing that Jesus did when Jesus was suffering. When Jesus was in anguish, in the greatest stress of his life to the point that his sweat became his great drops of blood because he was under such stress, he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, thy will be done. One of the greatest things you can do in your distress, one of the greatest things you can do in your difficult hour, one of the greatest things you can do is seek the will of God. God, what are you doing with this situation? God, what is your plan in the midst of this difficulty? God, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because I found out this, some of the greatest relief you can ever find is knowing that you're in the perfect will of God. I remember when God was convicting me of sin and salvation. I remember the day I got saved and I'm I remember the relief I felt. And then later on when God began to call me to preach and I was running and I was running, I didn't want to just say submit. I didn't want to say, Lord, I give it all to you. And boy, he was convicted and he was convicted. And I said, oh, I can't take it no more. Lord, I surrender to the call to preach. And boy, I remember that relief. Listen, you can still be in the circumstance. You can still be in the difficulty. But knowing that it is God's will will bring peace and will bring help and will bring healing and will bring comfort. Paul said, oh, take this thorn from me. Three times he went to God, take this thorn from me. And God said, no, Paul, I can't do that because of the abundance of the revelation, you'll be lifted up in pride. But I need to keep this thorn in your life to keep you humble so I can use you. And Paul said, okay, therefore will I gladly glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He saw it as a gift. It was the will of God 
And the angels came and ministered to Jesus in that garden. When he just, listen, he submitted to the will of God. Why, why is knowing God's will in a matter so comforting? Because when you know it's God's will, you know that the God of that will is a loving God and a merciful God and a God that's after your best interest. And no matter how difficult the hour and no matter how dark it is, that God has got a plan. He sought the will of God. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Listen. Lastly. Oh boy. I got ten minutes to tell you the best part. This is so awesome. I want you to see. We said his. The difficulty he experienced. The decision that he employed. But then this discovery. That he enjoyed. What did he discover? What did he realize in in this situation? He calls. (laughs) He calls. And he goes to the source. And this this is what he found out. That God is faithful. God is faithful. Three things he was faithful in, Brother Sean. He was faithful in an answer. When he called out to God, God gave him an answer. Now watch. Now watch. Saul's out of the will of God. Saul's, he's just acting plumb wicked. And there's a whole line of thought there. But Saul tried to get an answer from God. God wouldn't answer him. So you say, now watch. When you're in your darkest hour. And you're seeking God, truly seeking God. Saul wasn't necessarily seeking God as much as he was seeking his own welfare and benefit. And I can explain that later, but just trust me on the matter. He was tri- there's, there's one thing. There's one thing going to God in a submissive way and saying, God, what's your will? Not uh, what, what, what's in it for me. I, in other words, you're going to God so you can get something out of him for what you want. There's two different things there. And he found out that God was faithful that he answered him. I don't know about you, but I am glad that we have a God who hears our prayer. That we don't bow down to a statue or a rock or a piece of gold or a piece of wood that cannot hear us and cannot answer us. But we serve and we bow down to a real, living, powerful God who hears and answers prayer. He was faithful in an answer. Then he was faithful in an assurance. I love this one. He said, will we, should we pursue? He said, pursue. He said, will we overcome? He said, you will overcome. And not only will you overcome, you will recover all. 
Boy, I wish I had about 12 more minutes. Listen, you may think that the devil has stole everything from you. <laughs> oh. There, there's a verse in the Bible. <clears throat> there's a verse in the Bible that says that the shepherd will run down the lion and take out of the lion's mouth a leg and a piece of an ear. You say, what? 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 I mean, the lion's done, done destroyed the lamb, done destroyed the sheep, and the only thing left is a, is a piece of leg that's useless and a piece of an ear. But the shepherd runs it down anyway and takes it back out of the mouth of the lion. Man, I was curious about that. What's up with that? And I looked it up, and, and when, you just, when you describe what he's taking out of his mouth, it's the, it's the insignificant parts. It's the parts that they didn't use anyway. And I'm thinking, what in God's name is the shepherd running down and risking his life to take back something that's insignificant, Lord? And the Lord said, there's nothing insignificant to me. When the, when the devil, the roaring lion who roams about seeking whom he may devour, when he has ravaged someone's life and totally destroyed someone's life in their mind and they think there's nothing left but a piece of a leg and a piece of an ear, I can do more as the great shepherd with a leg and a piece of an ear than anybody else can do with a whole body. Somebody say amen. You may think you've thrown your life away. You may think you've given everything up and the devil's got all the best of everything. But when you follow the Lord, I'm telling you, you will recover all. God will make more happen in the years you have left than all the years that you have wasted. Somebody ought to shout and say amen. amen. God is faithful. He said you will recover all. And I don't know if you checked it or not, but when you read, he recovered all. He's faithful in his answer. He's faithful in his assurance. But he's also faithful in his assistance. His, ass <laughs> his assistance. Listen, David starts pursuing. He don't have a clue where he's at. He don't know where these people are. But he just happens to find a slave that's been left behind. <laughs> Y'all not getting it. God has a way of supernaturally providing. And he said, take me to where they are. And by the way, when they got there, they was all drunk and partying. So most of them couldn't fight back if they wanted to. What did he find? He found that God was faithful. Not only did he find that God was faithful, but he found that God was providential. What does that mean? What does that mean? God's got a plan. God has got a plan. Watch, 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 watch. Hurry up and write that and look back at me. 
Watch. Ziklag was in the enemy territory. He was anointed king of Israel. But he's hanging out in the devil's territory. You with me? Come on, get with me. You with me? This is the anointed king of Israel. Yeah, he's not king yet, but he's supposed to be. And he's in Ziklag. So guess what? God burned up Ziklag. <laughs> now think about this. All their houses are burnt. The city is destroyed. It's burnt. Now watch, 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 watch. Y'all watching? Not one person died. Are you starting to see the big picture? He said, all right, David, I need to get you out of the devil's territory and back where you're supposed to be, so I'm going to burn your house down. Now, I'm going to keep all you people safe. You know, sometimes God has to burn your present to propel you into your future. Let me, let me, let me, let me see. Uh, now, we can look back at this and see this. But it was a devastating time that he wept and he couldn't weep no more. But sometimes there'll be tragic things that happen to you. That's all part of God's plan to get you where he wants you to be. God will burn up your present to propel you into your future. You don't need to be hanging out at Ziklag. You got a kingdom to rule. Now watch, watch, watch. One minute. Watch this. Sean. <clears throat> they go and they take everything. But what most people don't realize is Ziklag was not the only place they spoiled. They've been spoiling all kinds of places. So they got all kinds of spoil. <laughs> Y'all a little slow on this side. Help me now. So they didn't just get back all their stuff. They, they got, oh, I'm going to get it. It's almost, I'm almost there. They got all kinds of stuff. Now, I'm, I'm going to save some time because i got 21 seconds. David took that stuff. Read it. David took that stuff and sent it to all the elders in Israel. <laughs> Guess what? The very next chapter, Saul dies. <laughs> I mean, let me say it this way. His setback was a setup. Do you see what I, did you see what happened? David thought this was the end of the world. David wept till he couldn't weep no more. But God was working this whole thing out. God was working out all the circumstances. 
he went and recovered all and he got enough stuff to send to the people that one day he was going to rule. What was he doing? God was getting him ready for the kingdom. Do you, <laughs> do you realize the darkest day of David's life was one chapter before he became king? Through all of this all of this stuff and the giant killing and running in the caves and hiding and, 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 and all in exile and having to run and having to live like an animal and all of this stuff. And now it seems like this is the worst yet. This is the, this is the darkest time. I thought it was bad in the cave. I thought it was bad when I was running from Saul. But now my family's gone there wanting to kill me. One chapter before he ascends the throne. I want to read this. I want to read this. I got, I got, I got to read fast because I'm in trouble. <clears throat> listen, listen. Spurgeon called to a church at 23, addressing crowds of 5,000 at the age of 30. This is what he wrote. Before any great achievement in my life, some measure of depression is very usual. Such was my experience when I first became a pastor in London. My success appalled me, and the thought of that career which seemed to be opening up so far from me, lading me, cast me into the lowest depths out of which I uttered my misery. I found no room for a glory in Excelsius. Who was I that I should continue to lead so great a multitude I would slip away to my village of of obscurity or prefer to emigrate to America and find a solitary nest in the backwoods? Watch, watch, watch. It was just then that the curtain was rising on my greatest life's work and I dreaded what it might reveal to me. I hope I was not faithless, but I was timorous and filled with a sense of my own unfitness. This this depression sweeps over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my life and ministry. Preacher, what are you saying? This darkness that you're in, this difficulty that you're in, this hard situation that you are facing, it just may be what God uses to propel you into your future destiny. Preacher, what do I do? Take initiative and go to God. Don't seek relief. Seek His will. And pursue on. Pursue on. Father, help us today. To accomplish this stuff we just heard. In Jesus name we pray. Bless everyone here. Help us to practice this. Not just preach it. In Jesus name and all God's people say it. Go home everybody. Hey ho 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 ho. Go ahead. Say it loud.